0: Thanks, David, for that wonderful prayer, and also for Chan for, um, reading that beautiful passage from Psalm. I'm just going to jump straight in into um, my sermon for tonight. In the KJV and the ESV version of translations of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, what does it say? Sorry, just a brain freeze. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Today, I'd like to share with you my vision for kids and youth ministry. And I'd like to use this passage to help us understand more clearly what God's mandate is for us as stewards of His children. Now, to start off, let me tell you a story about how I first learned to write my name. Not my English name, but actually my Chinese name. Now, a lot of you might be thinking, surely it must have been Rachel's parents who taught her how to write her name but oh no, you'll be surprised. The person who actually taught me how to write my Chinese name was a lady called Charis. And so once upon a time, when I was about probably in year three or in year four, I was um, at church. It was a Sunday afternoon. I was at church waiting and waiting for my parents to take me home. They have a lot of ministry activities and all that kind of stuff. So every Sunday, it's like, um, yeah, it's painful for my brother and I. Anyways, so at that time, Charis was also waiting, not for my parents, but for her husband to take her home. Does anyone have those experiences before? Like, oh, Jess is like, yes, all the time. (laughs) Good luck with your new kid, Jess. Anyway, so Charis was waiting, I was waiting, and when two people have nothing to do and are bored, what do they do? Well, sometimes they just start chatting, right? And so we did, we just talked about random stuff, like school and all that kind of thing. And then for some reason, the spirit must have prompted Charis And Charis asked me, oh, hey, Rach, what's your um, Chinese name? And so I would say I'm um, fluent in Cantonese because I speak a lot at home. Like Our parents forced us to do it, right? And so I was very confident, and I said, this is my Chinese name. Bang, bang, bang. And so Charis then said, oh, that's a really nice Chinese name. Do you know how to write it? And then I sort of hesitated, and I felt a little bit embarrassed because I realized I didn't know how to write my Chinese name. And Charis said, oh, that's okay. I can show you if you want to. And I said, oh, yes, please. Actually, that would be um, not a bad thing to do. And so Charis got out a piece of paper and a pen, and she showed me how to write my name. And so she wrote out each stroke, and I copied her. And because we were waiting for so long, I just had lots of time to just like keep Copying and memorizing, and um, and I committed it to memory. Now, some of you sitting here might be doubting my ability to still write my Chinese name. And so as proof, this week, on a Wednesday, I grabbed out a piece piece of paper, and I wrote down my Chinese name, and I scanned it into my computer just to prove to you that this is um, actually my handwriting, and that's my Chinese name. So it goes from left to right. It says, Lei Lo Hunt. And there you go. Anyone know how to read Chinese here? Hey, only my brother. How funny. I can't ask him to verify if this is true, because we could be in cahoots. But but just for argument's sake, is that right, you Yeah, that's right. Thank you to my brother. You know, there's an age-old saying that goes, it takes a village to raise a child. Would you agree with that statement? For me, Charis was part of the village that helped raise me, when I was growing up. Now, I know like, some of you are sitting here and you're wondering this important question, like, why were Rachel's parents so lazy that they didn't bother teaching her how to write her Chinese name? And as I was preparing this sermon, actually, I was like, really curious too, and I was actually quite indignant, like, why wouldn't they teach me how to write my name? And so I went up to them and I asked them, like, why, like, give me the story, why didn't you do that? Anyways, it turns out, this is what they say, right? I'm still a little bit sus, but they said they tried. But at the time, I was not interested. So, look, I don't remember any of that. So, anyways, we'll take it as a grain of salt. But I guess that uh, really pairs up with what I'm about to say next. Because I'm so glad that there were people like Charis in my life who decided to teach me how to write my name. And I was willing to learn from her at the time. You see, it does take a village to raise a child. There were times in my life when I'd rather listen to anyone but my parents. There were people in my life who looked after me when my parents had to go away for work trips. And there were people who shared their life stories which inspired me too. I owe so much of who I am, my faith, and my life to my parents. But I wouldn't be who I am without the help of everyone around me who cared about me and wanted me to grow and succeed. It's also why my parents had an attitude of letting their trusted friends, family and people at church to input into my life. They taught me the importance of respecting and learning from my elders, and they encouraged me to go to Sunday school and youth group. In the Bible, we know that the Israelites had a culture with a similar community mindset to raise children. It's the community's responsibility to train up children. We want to care for children as if they're our own. And we want our children to grow up to be mature and succeed in life. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And so what are the key things we'll be looking at today? Well, firstly, the Bible calls every one of us to train up a child to be like Christ, And secondly, we can nurture Christ-like children by focusing on three areas. Train up a child by modeling Christ-likeness. Train up a child by setting healthy boundaries. And train up a child by investing in relationship. And so our vision is to train up a child to be like Christ. According to Eugene Peterson, the words train up means to rub the gums of a newborn child with oil before it begins to suck its mother's breast. Midwives in the ancient East used to do that to help them get nourishment. The word then broadened out to describe what you do for infants and children to get them started right in life. And so in other words, We're called to help children get on and stay on the right path so they could succeed in the future. But what's the right path to success? Now, some people think it's education. Some people think it's fame and fortune. Some people think it's the pursuit of happiness. But the Bible teaches us that the right way and the only way to success is a life with God and living a life that imitates Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So verse 24 reminds us that we're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Our goal in growth and maturity is to become like God, who is righteous and holy. And Jesus came into the world to model what it means to live that kind of life. And so at Northern Life Kids in Youth Ministry, our goal is to train up young people to be like Christ. We want to set them up on the right path, and hopefully that they'll stay on the right path. And that path is to follow Jesus and to become more like him. It's the only way to truly be successful. Are you with me? It's so important to strive to become more like Christ, because when we look at Jesus' life, we see that he was secure in his identity and purpose on earth. And also, even though he faced many opposition and challenges, Jesus was able to weather those storms and overcome them. Sometimes we're so focused on a child's education that we forget to train them up in how to deal with rejection and failure. Sometimes we're so focused on a child's popularity that we forget to train them in kindness and humility. Psalm 19 reminds us that God's law, which is his word, is more precious than gold, more precious than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. And so what could be more precious or sweeter than becoming more like Jesus, who is the Word made flesh? When we train up a child to be like Christ, we're teaching them to trust in God, to have good relational skills, to work out what their priorities should be, and equip them with important values that stays with them for eternity. So can you see why training up a child to be like Christ is so important? So how do we do that? Well, as I mentioned before, I'd like to suggest three areas we should f- uh, focus on. Model Christ-likeness, set healthy boundaries, and invest in relationship. So let's look at the first one, model Christlikeness. likeness There are many passages in Scripture that reminds us to become like Christ. Take, for example, Romans 8, 29. Paul says, For those God foreknew, for he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Paul tells us that God's desire is for us to conform to the image of his son, to become like Christ. It makes a lot of sense because Genesis tells us we are created in the image of God. Jesus is God, and his life on earth helps us see concretely what it means to carry the image of God. God wants us to be like Christ. And so as parents teachers, or leaders of children, we should model Christ's likeness so that our children will learn to become more like Christ too. But being a good role model isn't easy. Would you agree? Let me give you um, an illustration. About two years ago, there was a company called Eubank, and they had this um, ad that hilariously Use this familiar truth of how children pick up behavior from adults, and so the ad starts off with this little girl who's playing with a doll, and next to her, her parents are having dinner with these um, friends, like a, like another couple having dinner. The girl's playing with a doll, and uh, we see the girl pretending to be the doll. She's on the phone. Well, the doll's on the phone, right? And she's like, um, "I'm just calling about my recent homeland application." And then the camera cuts to the, um, the guest, who has just heard what the, the daughter said, and they're like, they gave like a really nice facial expression, like, oh, like, isn't this the most adorable child ever? And then the camera cuts quickly back to the girl again. But suddenly, she changes, she becomes really aggressive, and she starts shouting abuse at this imaginary person on the other end of the line. This girl was mimicking her parents' frustration at the numerous rejections they've got from trying to get a home loan. Have you had a similar experience with your kids? Ben and Jess, get ready. The ad ends with a close-up of the parents who are super embarrassed at their behavior. It's funny, but isn't it true that we have those moments sometimes? A child picks up on the way we use language, or they pick up our attitude towards life for certain people. But on the other hand, these things can actually be a good thing. It's awesome when children pick up a good habit that you do. And it's great when a child decides to follow in your career path, not because they feel pressured to, but because they saw how rewarding your career path was, and and they felt inspired to walk in a similar path. It's the same thing with starting a family. Isn't it special that there are people who want to start a family because they grew up with a loving and supportive family? Now, I don't think I need to explain any further why being a good role model is so important in training up children to be like Christ. To wrap up this section, let me share a quote quote with you from a famous Christian child psychiatrist called Robert Coles. In his book, The Moral Intelligence of Children, he says, "'The child is a witness,' The child is an ever-attentive witness of grown-up morality, or lack thereof. The child looks and looks for cues as to how one ought to behave, and finds them in abundance as we parents and teachers go about our lives, making choices, addressing people, showing in action our rock-bottom assumptions, desires, and values, and thereby telling those young observers much more than we may realize. Jesus is our ultimate role model. And our goal is to point others to Jesus by first living a life that imitates him. And so let me ask you this question. How are you modeling to our children a life that seeks to be more like Christ? Model Christ-likeness. Now, the second is set healthy boundaries. God himself actually demonstrated to us the importance of setting boundaries. An example is when God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments. Now, the essence of the Ten Commandments is to show us how to love God and others. Other cultural groups back then had no idea what their gods wanted. They did whatever they could to please their gods and hope for reign and prosperity. They even went so far as doing child sacrifices to please their gods. Back then, no other religion was as comprehensive as Judaism. God gave specific instructions for life, how to treat him, how to treat others, how big the tabernacle should be, and what sacrifices you can and cannot do. Because because God was so clear, the community was able to thrive. Now, of course, the Israelites didn't always follow God's instructions completely. And so when they didn't, we see the breakdown of community and their relationship with God. Healthy boundaries are good. I think modern, West, modern Western society tend to run towards getting rid of as many boundaries as possible. But let me give you an illustration from a modern study to show that boundaries are good. Now, a while ago, I read a study on a very simple experiment, and the question they asked was, does fencing around a playground have any physical or psychological influence on children? These uh, researchers um, went out to observe some preschool children, and what they found was that on playgrounds where um, there weren't any fences, they noticed that the kids tended to gather around the teacher more, and they were actually reluctant to stray far from their view. But then, when they observed playgrounds where, where there were fences, they noticed that the kids, there were more kids running like, all around the playground, It seemed like to them that they felt freer to explore. The researchers concluded that with a boundary, in this case, a fence, children felt more at ease to explore the space. Now, another illustration to demonstrate this concept is music. If someone sits at a piano and starts randomly bashing the keys, it won't produce good music. But a good musician is someone who understands the rules or the laws of music. There are scales, there are patterns, there are certain notes that go well together, and some that don't. The more you understand music, the better you become at improvising and composing good sounds. You know when it's okay to delineate from a common music rule, and when not to. It's hard to find a a balance between freedom and restrictions, but we do need to find that balance, because we know healthy boundaries are good. They're good for encouraging children to explore and grow. And they're good for developing healthy relationships. And they're good for forming healthy habits. Paul reminds us in Galatians 5 that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We need to help young people develop these qualities. Besides modeling these characteristics, we can help them by setting healthy boundaries. We can teach them self-control by limiting their screen time. We can teach them faithfulness by encouraging them to follow through on their promises. And we can teach them love by showing them Jesus through regular study of the Bible. Now, of course, depending on the age of the young person we're working with, the limits we set should look different. A teenager's bedtime at 7 p.m. doesn't sound quite reasonable, and letting a five-year-old ride a train by themselves also seems unfair for the child. When it comes to setting healthy boundaries, I like to use the baseball field analogy. When you're on first base and you look out to the horizon, the diamond moves out like a V-shape. Very young children should have more boundaries, but as they grow older, those boundaries should also expand so that there's enough limits to help them feel safe, but also enough room to allow them to explore and grow in creativity. Setting healthy boundaries work best in relationships, which leads me to my final point, invest in relationship. Now, God also demonstrated this point. Did you know that the Ten Commandments doesn't begin with, You shall have no other gods before me? The Ten Commandments actually begin with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What God reminded the Israelites was that he chose to rescue them first before they should respond in obedience to him. Grace always precedes obedience. He saved them out of love and wanting to be in a relationship with them. And so let's go back to our verse today. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, I've mentioned earlier that the word train up alludes to what midwives in the ancient East used to do with newborn babies. They rub the gums of a newborn child with oil before it begins to suck its mother's breast. Now, this image of how a midwife looks after a baby conveys to me love, protection, and care. They understand what a child needs and how best to help them. When the Bible teaches us to train up a child in the way he should go, it's not spoken or written as an impersonal command. It's not telling us to use Spartan methods to cookie-cut our children. It's not the image of training soldiers to go out to war, and it's not seeing kids as numbers and forcing them to memorize scripture every day. The heart of this command is to encourage us to invest in children relationally and train them up to become like Christ so that the Christian faith of generations before us will continue with them for eternity. I know Proverbs wasn't written before Jesus came into the world. But when we look at the complete picture of scripture, we know God gave them the Torah and instructed the Israelites clearly to engrave his words in their heart. And when Jesus came into the world, he said clearly that he is the fulfillment of the law. So through Jesus, we get a complete understanding of God's heart and will for us. So back to investing in relationship. I don't know about you but the teachers who left a memorable impression on me and the teachers who I paid more attention to were the ones I knew who cared more than my academic success in school. They were the ones who saw me as an individual with my unique personality and gifts, and they took the time to inspire me to learn. When we invest in relationship, we're showing the child that we care about them because of who they are and not what we think we could get out of them. We want them to do well at school or succeed in life, not because he will make us look good or there's a chance we can get a promotion, but because we genuinely care about seeing them grow to their full potential. It reminds me of a, um, a really funny movie called Blades of Glory. Has anyone seen it before? A few? Well, it's about ice skating, and you probably remember this. At the very beginning of the movie, you see a wealthy man going to an orphanage, and at first, well, like, for me, my first impression of this man was, wow, like, what a nice guy. He's going to an orphanage and hopefully adopts um, a young child so they could give them a better chance in life. But this wealthy man, he steps out of the car, and he looks out at the orphanage, and he sees all these kids playing and all that kind of stuff, and he's scanning and he's scanning, And then he points to this one particular child, and this child has just done a really awesome ice-skating trick. And so you can obviously see, like, this kid is going to be a child prodigy. Like, he's going to be awesome, right? And the wealthy man picks the child and he says, I'll pick him. I'll pick him. How many parents in the world want to have kids just to make their lives look good? Not too long ago, there was a controversy surrounding a Caucasian family. The family were social media influencers. The parents decided to adopt an Asian boy to their family, and they documented the whole process online. But not long after getting the child, they realized that the disabilities he had were too much for them to handle. And so they decided to give the boy away to another family. Lots of people were outraged, and they stopped following them online. Children know if you care about them or not. They have this acute awareness of body language and love language. If children feel like they're unwanted and rejected in this world, or if they're just a tool for your own personal benefit, it wouldn't set them up well in life. They wouldn't feel confident in trying new things. They'd always feel that they're just in the way, taking up space. They'll think that no one cares if they disappeared from this world tomorrow. But let's flip that and think about how it might positively impact a child if he or she knows deeply that they're wanted and loved and cared for. It might give the child confidence to try new things because they know they're accepted for who they are and not what they've achieved. It might strengthen resilience in a child because they know that even if they failed at something, they have someone to turn to and find unconditional love there. It might develop their EQ and relational skills because they're willing to show unconditional love to others because they've experienced unconditional love and acceptance themselves. Invest in relationship. Our children need to know that they are a blessing in this world and that they are loved by God and others. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. We can do this by by trying to focus on three things. Model Christ-likeness, set healthy boundaries, and invest in relationship. To finish up, I'd like to give you this illustration. Have you heard about the five love languages? It was coined by a Christian counselor called Dr. Gary Chapman. They are physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts, quality time, and acts of service. Now, my brother likes to joke about my mum's love language, which is neither of them, but actually, food. Now, not so much her eating food, but more so her seeing, like, watching people eat food. It's a strange thing, but I, honest, I really, truly do believe that it gives her genuine joy when she sees people eating. Now, I think it has to do um, with her upbringing. So my mom grew up in a relatively poor family, and, um, for example, food like chicken is considered a luxury food for them. So um, my, like, my mom is the eldest of five children, and whenever her dad uh, was able to bring home chicken for dinner, Unfortunately, because she is also a female, she has to let her brothers get like, first pick, and obviously, they would take the drumsticks. And so my mom, unfortunately, was usually left with the less meaty parts of the chicken. Now, with children of her own, she finds joy in cooking food for her family. In Chinese culture, we often put, um, put our food in the middle of the table, and we take what we want to eat throughout the meal. Sometimes I think my mom would purposely eat slower so that my brother and I get to take everything we want first. She wants to make sure that we're well fed. I think my mom sees eating good food as a luxury, and to eat well is to be healthy. My mom is a very simple person, and when my brother first joked about how my mom's love language is food, I cracked up laughing. But also, I felt an overwhelming emotion. I realized that all my mom wants for her kids is that they eat healthy, so they grow up healthy. I'm not a mother, but when it comes to raising up the next generation, I care about seeing our children grow up physically, but more importantly, to grow up spiritually healthy. This is important to me because I know God delights in seeing His children be spiritually healthy. Thank you for trusting me and all our wonderful volunteers who are involved in so many kids and youth ministries in and out of our church to carry out what Proverbs 22, verse 6 calls us to do. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much Um for the blessings you've given us and for the blessings of children and for entrusting us with this important mandate to train them up in the way they should go. Lord, we ask that you help us, that you will give us um, the wisdom and the knowledge and the patience and the love and grace that we need to help all our children grow up to be mature and successful in life. And we know that that is to become more like you. Lord, I just want to pray a blessing over our church And especially over our children and youth, please bless them, Lord, and protect each and every one of them. Please um, bring in children and youth so that we can grow them and look after them and show them the love that you show us, Lord. And God, I also want to pray a blessing over all our kids and youth leaders. Thank you, Lord, for calling them into this um, important role. And I know it's not easy for them, but thank you, Lord, for your spirit and grace. I pray that they will find the joy, they will see the joy in serving you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.